Hey everyone, this is Landon cutting in from beautiful San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. Cutting in with a quick note about Musa Jite. So we recorded this show on Sunday night and on Monday, Sam Stachkul reported that uh, Musa Jite is, has been approved for his visa and is expected to land in Austin on Monday night. So when you are hearing this on Tuesday morning or whenever you hear it after that, Musa Jite should be in Austin, which is really exciting. I just wanted to cut in and mention that because we did not mention it in the show and likely you have heard about it. So um, hopefully you enjoy the rest of the show and we'll be recording from Austin again next week. See you then. The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Welcome to a special vacation edition of Moon Tower Soccer. Jeremiah and I are both on vacation in uh, Florida and Mexico, respectively. And so I know there's a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions in the Austin FC fan base right now. But just know that Jeremiah and I can't relate whatsoever because we're living our best lives at the moment. Uh, just kidding. We are still feeling lots of Lots of things about Austin FC, and we're going to talk about those in today's show. We'll review the two Copa Tejas matches versus Houston and Dallas, uh, including our first look at Sebastian Drusi, and then we're going to do a quick preview of the next match against Real Salt Lake. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I am Jeremiah Bentley. I am a few steps away from the beach and in a very good mood um, about what's going on in my life, but... <laughs> I drove halfway across the country today, and I, as soon as I got here to Florida, I had to catch up on uh, Twitter and Slack and all the other things, and it put me possibly back in a grumpy mood about Austin FC, which we'll we'll get into a little bit later. How's uh, how's Mexico? It's been great so far. We I haven't been here very long because the we essentially were going nonstop for like thirty six hours straight. So we took one of the Los Verdes buses to Frisco for the game on Saturday. We left our house about 10 a.m., 10.30 a.m. The buses left around noon. There was uh, traffic and then an accident, and there was apparently a car on fire at one point, and all this crazy stuff happening on I-35. One of the buses broke down, and we had to turn back and like cram people onto other buses. And so it took us six hours to get to Frisco. Um, went to the game. And that was an experience all on its own. After the game, jumped straight back on the bus. Took about four hours to get home. Ashley and I drove from the bus pickup point to the house. Finished, like, like took a shower, get ready, get all our stuff ready. You slept for like an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Got up, went to the airport, flew to Mexico City. Got on another bus, another four-hour bus from Mexico City to San Miguel de Allende. And got to our hotel a little bit after that. So we got to the hotel like at 5 p.m. today after pretty much going nonstop since 10 a.m. the previous day. So uh, I am very happy to be here and be in one spot. And uh, but yeah, it was it was a, a pretty wild, wild time. So I'm definitely going to enjoy the relaxation of this week. So I was going to ask on the bus, there was a talk about the bag of wine or what was the <laughs> what? On Twitter, what were you what were you drinking, and how much of that did you drink, and did y'all finish it all? Uh, I you get to actually Frisco? did not drink any of that bag of wine. Um, the video was uh, Marcelo Teson. Uh, if you're in Los Verdes Slack, you'll recognize his name probably. But I got to meet him in person for the first time, and that was that was very lovely. We got to talk for a long time that day. But um, he, him, and his wife came like mega prepared and like every 15 to 20 minutes they'd pull out a different snack or a different drink or uh like limoncello cordials and beef sticks and like it's like every 15 minutes something else came out that they were sharing and one of those things happened to be a bag of uh bag of sauvignon blanc <laughs> that he was <laughs> passing around for people to pour into their cups so uh and we were on what was titled the the quote-unquote chill bus the party buses 
there, there are three Los Verdes buses and we were the chill bus, which really what it meant was like, we were like partying a little more quietly than the other two buses were, but there was still like bags of wine and jars of whiskey and stuff being passed around on the bus. So it was still a really good time. And then I think I imagine on the way home, our bus was a little quieter than the other ones as well. But, um, it, if the game had gone a little bit better, it would have been like overall an amazing experience, but just like kind of getting to meet some folks in person and hang out with them for a while, like that I've only ever talked to online was, was really cool. So I enjoyed that part of it for sure. That's, that's really cool. And I think I've learned that like, uh, I'm going to ride with Marcelo on f- future buses. If there's the kind of yeah. preparation they bring <laughs> to every single event. Yeah, definitely try to get on Marcelo's bus. Cause they come prepared for sure. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, I, full disclosure, listeners, this is probably the least prepared Jeremiah and I have ever been for one of these shows. Uh, luckily, there's some very clear topics to talk about that the Austin FC fandom has chosen for us. Um, so we'll still have a good show for you, but just know if it seems a little unstructured at moments, it's because it is unstructured. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame it on like the leftover effect from Wellhausen being on last week. You somehow like taint... <laughs> He somehow tainted the Zoom recordings to where we can no longer follow a script. Yeah, it's residual chaos from that that Wellhausen left behind. All right, let's jump into the first Copa Teos match against the Houston Dynamo. Uh, ended up 3-2 win for Austin. Um, it came out in a slightly different shape than what we had seen before. It was kind of a four, two, three, one. And one of the surprise starts was little Sebastian starting in the midfield. So we talked a couple of shows back about Wolf, like with certain injuries or certain players being un- unavailable or un- unable to go a full game. He had a decision to either you either put little Sebastian in the midfield and play Diego on the wing or if you don't trust little Sebastian enough to do that, you put Diego in the midfield and you have to start Mane or Stroud or somebody else on the wing. And now we've seen both of those things, right? Like we've seen both of those experiments. I think we got a question answered in this game. Do you agree? Like I, I think if that's ever the option again, and I imagine it will be at some point, like if the option is putting Diego on the wing and starting little Sebastian or putting Diego in midfield and starting Mane or Stroud. I think the answer is starting little Sebastian and putting Diego in, in the position where he's performed better for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cause he, yeah, he's, you know, he's done that um, before. And I think Sebastian had a really good game. I think um, ring showed more. I mean, we'll get into this, but like ring showed more like sort of in advance than I thought um, than we've seen out of him too. Right. That's the first time he's played this far forward. Right. Yeah. Essentially what the, the shape ended up being more of a four, two, three, one. And it was a lot of movement within that. It, w- it wasn't always like, if you looked at the, like you took a snapshot of the field at any given moment, you wouldn't have known it was necessarily a four, two, three, one, but in defense. And then in certain moments in the attack, you could see that that was the base shape. And with uh, Sebastian and ring in that double pivot, but Sebastian was the one who was staying a little bit deeper and ring was pushing forward. And so, uh, yeah, it, it was a thing we hadn't seen from ring very much this season, him pushing forward and being a bit more of like a box to box eight instead of that pure six that we're used to seeing him play. Um, and yeah, little Sebastian had a pretty good game. I think there's still moments of, uh, inexperience and lacks of focus from him. And then maybe sometimes playing a little bit too slowly and turning balls over, putting other people in dangerous, in dangerous positions, but overall really solid game. He's involved in, in at least one of the goals, if not a couple of them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think again, he's, he'll get better with time. And I think the more minutes he gets, he'll start to pick up on some of that stuff, but overall a really solid performance from him. Uh, Pochettino was playing at the 10. And so, we talked about in the last show, like what is a 10 in Wolf system against Houston? We had a 10, right? Like it was a four, two, three, one, the guy in the middle of that line of three, that's the 10. And that's where Pochettino is playing. He was playing in that spot and had a lot of freedom to move side to side and kind of combine with, with Diego on one side with Cecilio on the other side. And 
uh, looked really, really good in that position and ended up uh, winning MLS player of the week, uh, got credited with two goals. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about talk about the first one. <laughs> uh, but a really great game from him. Um, and then Gallagher started at the nine. Wasn't uh, like wasn't hugely impactful on the game, but I think he did what he needed to do. Made the back line stay honest. Was like kind of making little runs here and there, and like didn't often get the ball played to him. But he was at least making the center backs think about him and kind of stay honest and, and kind of follow him back when he made those runs. And then you had Cecilio on the left wing, Diego on the right wing. Both of those guys had really solid games. Uh, Cecilio looks better when he's on the wing. Like he's just a better player when he's over there. And I think the same is true of Diego. Uh, Diego does really well in midfield, but I think he becomes more dangerous when you put him on that wing. And so it was just a really good combination of players, not, too dissimilar from what we saw it was a different setup but kind of the way that players were moving and the freedoms that players were given it was not dissimilar to the portland game and those are the two games we scored the most goals in so far so um it's maybe shouldn't be that surprising that it looks so good uh so the first goal came in the seventh minute uh it was credited to Tomas Pochettino. Did did they ever change it? Did you ever see if they changed it? I, last I checked was like two days after the fact, and it was still being credited to Pochettino. No, it's still it's is still credited to Pochettino uh, for yeah, a no good no good no good reason. I mean, that seemed like an easy it seemed like an easy one to call an own goal. Absolutely, um, and I couldn't yeah. even, couldn't couldn't believe up front that it was even credited to him. But I mean, I'm good. I'm happy for him because he had a great match, and that helped. I think a lot in him winning MLS player of the week was this goal that probably really wasn't what is wasn't his goal. So we'll, we'll take credit for it and be happy about it. Either way. He had a lot to do with the goal. Um, even if he wasn't actually one who officially scored it, he had a lot to do with it. So it was a deep free kick got headed out kind of to the right wing. Uh, little Sebastian wins the loose ball and then kind of like first time crosses it in Cascante heads it down and I think he's trying to head it to Gallagher who is a little bit closer to him, but it goes a little bit past him and Pochettino is crashing the box on that side. Um, and it falls to him. He hits it across the goal and it hits the post and is bouncing out. And Zarek Valentin was uh, trying to recover to block that ball and the ball kind of pops straight up into him and it hits him in the leg and goes straight into the goal. So that's kind of, again, like, I don't understand how it's not credited an own goal, but Pochettino did really well there either way, even if, if he wasn't the one who scored it. So uh, early goal for Austin FC. Um, not long after that, in the 20th minute, one of the biggest changes of the game was uh, Darwin Seren's red card. So uh, I, I don't remember if there's a turnover, something happened in midfield and little Sebastian was, all over him, like kind of hassling him right on his back and um, doing a really good job of like hassling him without fouling him. And it really got under Seren's skin apparently because he threw an elbow connected with, with Burhalter's face and the ref walks over to him, looks him straight in the eye, lifts the red card. And uh, I, I think it was an easy red card, like a very clear one. Like, I don't know that he hit, halter very hard but the fact that you threw an elbow like you, you got to walk for that one you just it's, can't you can't do that yeah yeah it was really really dumb i mean that's um it's the kind of thing you can't do and it i don't know how much it turned the game honestly though right like we'll talk about how the game flowed yeah, it, after that because there it was feels still a like bunch it didn't change anything <laughs> yeah so at that moment um I mean, Austin was looking good before that happened, right? The first 20 minutes, Austin was was kind of in a good flow. And that card happened. And I leaned over to, to Ashley and I was like, okay, if Austin loses this one, then they deserve as much hate as any fan can give them. And she just like hit me on the arm. I was like, don't say that. And then a few minutes later, 27th minute, Tyler Pastor scores a goal. And I was like, oh no, what did I do? Uh but yeah, which I'm trying, I'm getting the two Houston goals confused. This one was Cascante's lazy pass, correct? Uh, I thought that was the second one. 
Yeah, this this one was Cascante's lazy pass, and then the the second one was the the missed pass from Stuver that Pico finished. Oh um, shoot! Yes, yes. So yeah, this goal was. I think it seemed like they just got like a little bit too comfortable, and like Cascante was like kind of playing with a little bit of swagger that night and was playing the ball really well and just. That one time, I think they he intercepted a uh, like a long through ball or something, and plays it one time to Ring in the midfield with like a with a lot of attackers in the area, and you see Ring react as soon as he plays the ball like, "What are you doing?" And I can't remember who picks it up in the midfield, but they play it to play it to Pasher and he scores, and. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't. I think it's just a moment of Cascante kind of switching off, or maybe being a little bit too comfortable. But uh, it was not a, not really a moment of Houston even being back in the game. It was just a moment of like switching off a little bit. Um, in the forty-fifth minute, Pochettino actually does get a goal. This one uh, was from, I don't remember if it was a free kick or just like a, a cross that was coming. I think it was, I think it was an open play. Um, a ball, a long ball came across to uh, the backside, like a long ball switch to the back post to Diego Fagundes, who was crouching that back post. He uh, puts in a one touch shot. It gets saved, falls to Pochettino. Pochettino finishes really nicely. Uh, and so that one again, Pochettino, having that freedom to kind of move around arriving in the box late, late. And then when the ball falls to him, finishing it. Uh, So that one's well-deserved goal. Yeah. Halftime came. It looked like Austin was still kind of in control again. And I I don't know that they ever looked out of control really, but it it kind of still felt like Austin was controlling the game in the 56 minute. Cecilia Dominguez scores a header uh, and it was assisted by, uh, Fagundes and Jimenez, who those two were connecting really well on that right side all all game. They were playing little one twos and give and go type type plays. I thought they looked really good that night together. Uh, but yeah, Cecilio gets that headed goal in the 56th. Austin goes up three one, and then I thought that 80th, headed, I, I, I thought that was a really strong header too. It was. It was that, really good. Yeah, that was that was a really good because we've seen some headers from from Austin, maybe not from Cecilio, like some. You know the one from Ring from last week that was kind of light, but I mean there there was no doubt on that. He put a lot of a lot of mustard on that ball. Like it, it yeah, was a well, it was a well played ball. He was running across goal, and the ball was struck in pretty pretty strongly. And so yeah, it was it was not an easy header to finish, and he did really well on it. Um, cut to the 86th minute. We foreshadowed this a bit ago, but uh, Austin's playing out of the back. Brad Stuver ends up playing a ball that gets cut out from uh, cut out by Fafa Pico, who runs in with I think Cascante, somebody standing in the goal, and this the keeper wasn't there because he had just played the ball out on the wing. But uh, Pico finishes it to put it to three two, and that's the score that the game ended on. I think that's one of that's that's the second Stuver mistake that's ended in a goal this season, right? Um, I think maybe one of three or four like really bad mistakes from Stuver that could have ended poorly. And I, I think I'll, I'll preface this with saying that Stuver does deserve some of the, the blame here, but I think if um, I believe ring had been taken off at this point and little Sebastian was still in the game, uh, whenever they're playing out of the back like that, like you have to remember, this is a thing that not all teams do. Not all teams, not all coaches ask their teams to do. And so it puts a lot of pressure on that back line and that goalkeeper and they need help and support. And I think this is a moment, one of these moments that I mentioned earlier, when little Sebastian kind of uh, turned off a little bit, there was a lot of pressure on that back line. Stuver had the ball, like at the edge of the box, right up against the end line. And Burhalter was just kind of like jogging along. He should have been crashing the ball, kind of like giving giving Stuver an option. He didn't do that. And Stuver tried to play him the ball anyway. I think that's the moment where Stuver des- deserves a little bit of the blame because he should have seen that that Burhalter wasn't showing for that and just cleared the ball out or played it somewhere else. 
he didn't, he still tried to play it and Pico was there, picked it off and scored. Um, so yeah, like I said, Stuvert, Stuvert deserves some blame, but I think if ring were in the position where Berhalter would have been, that maybe there would have been a pass there and they could have played out of it. Yeah. And I feel like this Houston match represents like the best and worst out of playing out of the back, because that was one of those moments that we, that we see too many times that it seems like Brad's being real casual with the ball and clearly he's being intentional. Um, and we see some of, some of the more of that against, you know, Dallas sort of on the downside, but all throughout the rest of the match, like they connected really well and, you know, they moved the ball around well and, and they were strong in the attack and they, they did everything you would expect out of Josh Wolf's system, but you, there's just, there's these things that, that, that happen almost every, every match at worry. Uh, I think folks a little bit, particularly, um, those of us on Twitter who probably haven't spent a lot of time studying MLS tactics. Yeah. So that, Ended that one on, even though there were a few down moments, I think all Austin FC fans got to the the end of that work week on a high after that game, right? Like that was probably the second best game we've seen after that Portland game. Uh, Lots of players playing in their best positions, looking really good in these best positions. Cut to the Dallas game. (laughs) Uh, What were your thoughts when the the lineup came out for the Dallas game on Saturday? Uh, I think I probably summed it up best on my personal Twitter account when I first made sure that I wasn't logged into Moon Tower and tweeting and <laughs> threw, threw, threw around a few choice words. Well, first of all, you know, the way the lineup showed up like on the MLS website and uh, and others like was super confusing, right? Because it had Cascante like on the right as, wing. As the right, on the, as, yeah, it's the right wing in the attack. So you know, the first, like the first couple of minutes, I was trying to figure out exactly what it was. But um, gosh, you know, Chris and I wondered about if Josh was like too dogmatic about his formations. And he certainly dispelled any notion of that against Dallas, right? Absolutely, that's something yeah. I, something I never expected to see. What, I mean, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, I, I saw it and I was, uh, I was surprised at some of the names on there, but I was thinking like, okay, he's, he's resting guys. Like he doesn't think some of these guys are ready to go, but then looking through the names, I was like, okay, this is going to be a back, like a back five of some sorts or like a back three with wing backs. But then the rest of it, I was like, I don't know what the rest of it's going to look like. It ended up being pretty much a five, three, two with uh, ring Pereira and Burhalter in the midfield Fugundes and Perez up top. And then the back five was Stanley on the left, Beasler, Cascante, Romagna, and Jimenez on at right wing back. And so, yeah, it was, again, you talk about just like him being willing to change formations. There you go. There's some flexibility. If nothing else, then you could take some consolation in that. <laughs> so before, uh, when you saw that, like what, 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 what did you think Josh was thinking? Like what, what was your armchair an analysis, the strategy that, that we were going to go into the game with? My guess was, um, was kind of what you see, you see teams do this sometimes, but it's what we saw Seattle do to us recently. Like we're going to play a rope a dope game. Just like, don't let them score for 45 minutes, make some subs either a halftime or early in, in the second half and put on some of our best players and try to win the game, which turns out was Wolf's, uh, that was his game plan. I would argue that that game plan was not very well executed both by Wolf and by the players. Uh, but that, that was kind of what my guess was. And then I saw that, uh, Chris Bills was tweeting about that before the game as well, kind of thinking that might be the game plan. And that turns out to be what, what he was trying to do at least. Yeah, and it worked for a half, right? I mean, yeah. it felt like, I mean, we it worked way better. better. Honestly, worked way better than I thought it would in the first half. Like I expected. We looked like to be, the, yeah, we looked like the better team for forty-five yeah. minutes for sure, and um, still never really looked like scoring a goal. We had a couple of good chances. Many Perez had a good chance in the first half. Um, had a few decent chances that, again, I just he's not a striker. He he runs a lot works really hard gets in some good positions but 
the last few times we've seen him play, he, the ball gets played to him in the box and he can't control it or can't get a shot off or can't do something. And we saw that time after time after time in this Dallas game where he, the, the one really good chance he, he got, I don't know how much better he could have done with, with Maurer's, the, the keeper's positioning, but there are several other moments where it was, I just threw my hands up. It was like, if we had a real keeper, uh, a real striker playing in that position and that ball falls, that's a goal. And it's just so frustrating to watch sometimes, but uh, yeah, just, it, it looked really good in that for those first 45 minutes, but still never really looked like we were going to score a goal. And, and he, so he ended up playing striker the entire 90, right? He was yeah, not one of our five subs. I believe that's true. Let me pull up. Right, right. Because the last one was Stanley. Because there was that giant sub, I guess, well, we, we'll talk about halftime that when the, or the adjustments at halftime maybe from Dallas, then we can go to that. But he was not part of the giant substitution yeah, no, um, per, at per, 60. Yeah, Paris yeah. stayed on the whole game. Uh, yeah, so right at, at, at halftime, um, Dallas made two subs. They brought off Paxton Pomacall and Ricarte and brought on Jader O'Brien and Brian Acosta. And I know Chris Bills was writing about this before the game and was tweeting about it during the game. And I was kind of thinking the same, the same thing. It was like, okay, we looked really good in those first 45. Surely Dallas is going to come out and make some changes. We need to do the same. We need to match that because you have to expect them to, to react to what was going on in the first half. And so either we need to get even more defensive and hold on for a little bit longer or make changes and bring on some of these better players. And we didn't really do either of them. We were still high pressing. And that, that's another thing that kind of surprised me is I was thinking, okay, back five, maybe we're going to sit deep. And that didn't happen in the first half. We were high pressing the whole, like pretty much the whole game and doing it pretty well for them for the most part, especially in those first 45, the longer the game went on, Austin got a little bit lazier, a little bit less focused, a little bit slower in that press, a little bit slower in their transition to defense once they did get beat. And in the 50th minute, a goal comes because of that exact thing. Like uh, just a ball getting, I think it was, I don't know if it was a cross, a ball ended up falling uh, to like the left side of the box Nobody recovers. Nobody's hustling to, to close a guy down. It gets uh, cut back to the top of the box and uh, Ryan Hollingshead puts one in, doesn't get contested. I think Fagundes was the closest man to him, was kind of jogging towards him. But there are several other players who could have closed one of the previous guys down who touched the ball and just didn't do it. And so just if, if you're going to, if that's the game plan, you have to be more focused and more disciplined in carrying out that game plan until you can make those substitutions. And that did not happen. And so when substitutions finally do come, it's the 61st minute, uh, Nick Lima comes on for Jimenez and Pochettino comes on for Burhalter. already a goal down. And then in the 62nd minute, I, did they all come on at the same time or was I think these were all technically at the they same, were, the yeah, same yeah, time. They, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they were, they were all at the same time. Now, it may have taken yeah. long enough to announce them that it was they were 61st and 62nd, but they, it was one big substitution. Because at first there were just three of them there, and then all of a sudden I saw Cecilio run onto the field because he was not standing with the subs at the beginning. So Cecilio comes on as well, and Sebastian Driussi comes on for his first appearance for Austin FC. Beasler comes off, Pereira comes off, and so they go to a 4-3-3. They take off one of the center backs, go to a 4-3-3 and take off Pereira, who was one of the most effective players in the game so far. And so again, that game plan that Josh was going into the game with, it's like, okay, we're going to hold on for 45 to 60 minutes and then bring on some of these, these other players. But if you're leaving on Manny Perez and taking off Daniel Pereira, like, I don't know how much better we're going to get. Like, it's very true. Yeah. Pereira was really good in this game in those first 45 minutes. And uh, yeah, I just, I think you're making sideways movements at that point. But uh, 
a minute after that, again, Austin turns the ball over, loses focus, isn't hustling back to recover from a turnover. Jesus Ferreira scores a goal, 2-0. And so the whole plan is, it was shot with the first goal a little bit, but when that happens, it's done. And Austin looked like they knew it was done, right? Like it looked like they had kind of given up for a bit. I think a little bit later on, there was a, a hydration break later on in the half and Wolf got to pull them over and, and get like talk to them and kind of restructure. I think they had a bit more spark and looked a little more lively at that point, but you still had Manny Perez playing striker. You had Drew C who's had, maybe like one and a half practices with the team. Uh, and so didn't really look like it was a cohesive thing. And plus we were kind of throwing the kitchen sink at, at, at them anyway. And so it wasn't a real structured attack anyway. So any chance that they had of, of winning that game by bringing those guys on was toast based on just a lack of focus and a lack of ex- execution, both on the player's part and on Wolf's part. I think particularly the second goal. Um, I mean, we'll we'll get into the criticism of Wolf, which which a lot of us fair and uh, we we haven't previewed this in advance, so we may agree or disagree about which ones are. But you know, the second goal. I mean, that was a lot on the players, right? I mean, that was a really there was a lot of that was a really lazy turnover from Cecilio. I mean, I, I don't know if I don't know if you can pin that one on the coach. No, I mean, both of the goals are on the players. Um, they should have done better. Like you can't. I think the, like, yeah, we'll get into the overall game plan and, and what, what Wolf is to blame for, but the both goals were strictly a lack of focus and a lack of, of effort. It was not game plan because the game plan was working when the guys were running and fighting for it. And when they stopped, that's when FC Dallas scores two on them. So I think the two goals you like, you can't blame on the players or you can't blame on Wolf. I think the lack of us scoring any goals is the part that you can maybe put on Wolf a little bit. Let's say before we get to any of that, uh, how we haven't really talked about the atmosphere in the stadium and, Oh yeah. And maybe even the difference between the first half and the second half. Cause I feel like at home, once the second goal came, I mean, I almost fell asleep. Like, was it like that in the stands or just walk us through what it was like? It's hard to say. So like, it was weird sitting where we were sitting. We were kind of, we had th- the the top half of three sections in the stadium. And I was on like kind of the opposite end from where the Morgo was. And so I couldn't really hear the horns. I couldn't really hear people chanting that much just because of where we were sitting. And so I think it was a little bit more subdued in the second half but not by a ton. I think there was still a lot of energy going on, but I think you probably had a better look and feel for it based on what you were seeing on TV than what I did from where I was sitting. Did you feel like it, it like went down? I don't know that, maybe a little bit. I, don't, I, I didn't notice that much difference-wise. I, know, I noticed in me personally, I very much did, and I imagine you know uh, a lot of people did, but I don't know if the chance really really slowed down that much. I know at the, uh, probably up until like around 90, it seemed like at the very end, people, once we get to, uh, extra time, people kind of knew the score and were very subdued, but you know, up until maybe 85 or so, it seemed like it was going along like it normally does. There was like, um, very much. So like the two supporters sections were on like caddy corner corners of the stadium and there was very much like posturing between the two <laughs> and you could tell like i mean you saw, there's like a, a lot of stuff circulating on social media this week about uh like fc dallas supporters group leaders like pleading people to come out because they knew we were going to bring a ton of people and so it was very obvious during the game that like they were going to make sure that they did everything they could to, to make sure that we didn't show them up in the stadium and like for they they filled up their supporters section is quite small but they filled it up they made as much noise as they could with that group of people but watching the highlights back on tv all i heard was austin fans the whole game <laughs> um but yeah it was it was cool like i i think 
overall, like that kind of rivalry and atmosphere is only gonna gonna make Texas soccer better. Like rising tide lifts all boats, kind of things. Like I think it's gonna by bringing. I think it ended up probably being like over 600 Austin fans at the game there, uh, bringing that many people into their atmosphere and into their stadium. And going back to the Houston game, Houston brought probably like 200 people. They showed out really well. And that was a, a Wednesday night. They were making a lot of noise up there in the corner. Again, it, they're never going to compete with the 3000 in our supporter section being an away game, but um, I think they deserve a lot of respect for bringing that many people on a, a weeknight and making that much noise with with that few people there. So, uh, yeah, again, I think I think overall it's going to be really good for for Texas MLS teams. Yeah, and I guess I think thinking back on it, I think what I did was in the second, like near the end, I could actually hear the Dallas fans, and for the first eighty minutes or so, I think all I heard was Lamerga and in the Austin chance. And I don't know. I don't know how this works. So I was I was uh, watching the stream on the Austin FC website. So I'm assuming you get the same audio that you do if you're watching on ESPN Plus or whatever. So the like highlights, the stadium uh, the, audio, the highlights. Yeah, I would imagine. So the highlights I saw were from the Dallas broadcast. Okay. Um, and I don't think they changed like the stadium feed at all because it was still mostly Austin fans. So, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was it. Adrian and Mike look very nice in their Howler Brothers uh, shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that they made sure and showed everyone sold out now. Um, yeah, I, it was stats-wise, you know, it was an okay game. Austin won possession. I think they won that in both games this week, right? But they looked a lot more uh, threatening in possession than they did against Houston. Um, I think they even let in expected goals because we had a couple good Against chances. Dallas? Against Dallas, yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah, probably a true. Of chances. Yeah, a couple of those ones early, I think, had like a like a point two five uh, x goal chance. I think it was one of the Perez ones, maybe um, had a good chance. So Dallas you know, didn't have just, that many shots overall, really. I think they had like two or three in the first half, and then maybe three or four more in the second half. Two of which went in, and so right. they didn't get a lot of chances. They just whenever we screwed up, they they punished us for it. So. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, surprise me that, that the XG might be higher for us. Yeah. So do you want to get into the post-game response here? Let's do it. And so f- fan reaction. So I think, so what are some of the, uh, let's do it this way. Let's let's bring up some of the criticisms we've maybe seen online or heard from people. And then we can say whether or not we agree with them and whether or not we agree with, with each other. <laughs> Uh, so did, that's fair. Are there any any that come to mind immediately? Well, we talked about the starting lineup a little bit. Yeah, let's um, let's start there. What are, what are okay. the criticisms of of that that you've seen, or the reactions? That we started our subs. This, that, that we started our subs and have our starters on the bench, and that was a defeatist lineup going in. Where where do you stand on that? What are your thoughts? I they had to rotate because we had two games in a week. And considering how good that worked out in the first half, I'm I'm not buying that. Like I think Josh took a tactical risk, and it paid off for 45 minutes. So from the yeah. the, the starting lineup point, I don't I don't buy that criticism. Yeah, totally agree. I think there's there's like rotation. You like Austin FC has a very highly regarded sports science, like their head of player performance or whatever his title is, Dave Tinney. He's been around the game and in other sports a long time. They're doing a lot of like very complicated tests and like testing performance and recovery. And he's giving Wolf feedback on, on how these guys are recovering, how much workload they can do in a week. And so this isn't Wolf not starting these guys because he doesn't like them or doesn't think they're good or because he's like... (laughs) I, I saw a lot of Austin fans act like it was like a slap in the face to them that Wolf wouldn't play some of these guys in the game. And that's not how a head coach is thinking about this. Like he's protecting players. And I honestly like really, really respect that he thinks about it that way. Like he's, he's protecting players, player safety, player health in doing that. And so I can I can understand how some fans are disappointed they're not going to see some of these players, but 
I've, I've seen pe- some people saying that like, it's straight up disrespectful to fans to not play some of these guys. And I think that's completely out of line. Like it's disrespectful to play players when it would be putting their, their health at risk essentially. And their in the end, their livelihoods, right? Like their health is their livelihood. And so if you're doing things or putting them in situations where they're more likely to get hurt, I think that's, that would be disrespectful to those players. And I'm glad to see that Wolf takes those things seriously and, and doesn't push players too hard. All right. I feel like you have a pretty strong opinion on that one. I'll, I'll go to the, I'll go to the next. <laughs> so we've got the lineup. We'll go to the substitutions. And this is one that I, I agree with in that. So this looked like a lineup that should be hang on for 45 minutes and then bring in rested players who are more skilled in the attack and, and switching up and respond. And, um, you know, Josh said after the game that he thought they did great for 45, that he wanted this lineup to have 60 minutes in them. You know, and my position is once Dallas made the halftime adjustments that changed the script for the game and that he should have reacted to that and subbed in either right at halftime or earlier than he did, like right after. Yeah, I completely agree with that one as well. Um, Chris Bills asked Wolf in the post-game press conference about that exact thing. Like, why didn't you maybe make those changes earlier? And Wolf kind of took the stance of, well, yeah, it's easy to say that afterwards, but Chris Bills was tweeting about that at halftime. He was tweeting about it before the game and at halftime. And a lot of fans were talking about it before the game and at halftime. And so, yeah, he can say that, that, oh yeah, Monday morning quarterback, whatever, but no, no, this was, this was Saturday afternoon quarterback. A lot of people are already talking about it. And so, um, I think this is where, yeah, I, I, I agree with this criticism and this is where kind of the game plan and the execution don't match up. Like if you're going to do that game plan of, of hold on for 45, 50, 60 minutes, you need to make sure the players are executing in a certain way and are set up to succeed in a certain way. And then making those substitutions at the right moment, like that's, that's where it fails. And I think I saw, um, I wish I could remember his last name. His name is Devin. And he was writing about this in, in Los Verdes Slack the other day, but was talking about essentially like you don't get partial credit for a thing like this. Like, yeah, they looked great in the first 45 minutes, but if you don't make the right move at the right time and they beat you, like you failed. And you don't you don't get partial credit for for playing good in the first half. And so, yeah, I, I think the criticisms on that part of Wolf's Wolf's uh, execution of the game plan are completely fair. Be mad about that. Um, one of the, okay, so on the substitutions too, another criticism I read about that, and I think this may have, I came from multiple places, and I know, but Roberto or, or at the striker Texas mentioned this, like, it's bringing in four people like fundamentally. Does that change too much to the way the game is being played to bring in four people all at once? And is that just disruptive in and of itself? And do you need to always like do two and two or something? Yeah, maybe. Um, it really could be. And like, I think part of that was a little bit reactive to the goal being scored because right after the half, uh, Lima and Triusi went over with Dave Tinney and were warming up. So like, like the whistle blew second half kickoff happened Lima and Drewsi were warming up. And so I think that was initially the plan was to make two subs. And then if like 10 minutes later, bring on two more. And once that goal happened, I think Wolf said, Oh crap, I got to get them all on now. And so, yeah, I, I think probably in the initial plan was to bring on two by two, but, uh, yeah, with again, lack of execution, lack of focus, your whole game plan goes out the window whenever you let that easy first goal in. All right, and I've got one more here, and this is directly from from Chris from his article today. Um, and that is, do you think that uh, Josh should have treated this differently? Even, even you know, you mentioned earlier all the sports science stuff, but like knowing it's a rivalry game, should he maybe stretch guys a little more? 
Um, should he have, you know, played a little bit differently because it's not Real Salt Lake on a Wednesday night? I would still say, like, I don't know that I would have started any of those guys. Like, the feedback you're getting from your sports science team is showing that they should not play more than X amount of minutes. But at the same time, like, because it is a rivalry game, it's essentially a six-point game. Like, if we'd have won that game, we would have passed Dallas in the in the standings as well. For that reason, I I would say like that's more of a reason to put them on at halftime as opposed to waiting to the 60th minute because all the, yeah like sport this listen to the sports science guys protect your players' health but really in that moment what's the difference in 30 minutes and 45 minutes like especially so that that's that was one of the things I was kind of defending Wolf on is protecting player health. At the same time, he's running Diego Fagundes out for 90 minutes again. And I don't understand, like, maybe Diego's superhuman and he he doesn't need to recover and is just fine doing that. But I think that kind of pokes a hole in the in the whole player protection theory if if you're still running Diego out for 90 minutes. Yeah, and Diego was, in our first half, was by far our most active and dangerous player. I remember now a tweet from Chris uh, Bills again that he's like, Diego's playing like a guy that knows he's only going to be in for 45. Right. And, he, and that's, and that's why he's doing it. And then he ended up playing the, yeah. And that ended up not being the case. And I'd argue in the second half, he looked like a guy who probably should have only played 45 <laughs> because right. again, I, I think he probably should have closed down Hollingshead for that first goal, but he had run so much in that first half that I don't think he had it in him anymore. And like nobody will ever accuse Diego of being lazy. Right. Like, he was just tired and I was shocked that he did not, that he was not the first guy off the field whenever they started making those subs and even more shocked that he went the full 90. Yeah. And to your point about Pereira, that's really the one where I could totally see leaving. Well, I don't know. Cause you got to get many pairs off the field too, but, but yeah, I, I was thinking that somebody would come in for Diego and not come in for Pereira. If you're going to sub in the midfield. Yeah. Um, well, those are the main ones I could think of. Are there, are there any other Josh Wolf criticisms that we haven't talked about? I feel like this has become a Josh Wolf show more than maybe it should be, but that's that's sort of the most interesting. I mean, it's one of the most interesting things about what's going on with Austin right now. Yeah, I there's there are still probably a few more people or the same people saying it more loudly that they sh- that they think Wolf should be fired. Again, we're not going to talk too much about it, but. I still think it's ridiculous. I think you still think it's ridiculous. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't. I don't stand behind many of my predictions that I've made um, in the past, and never bring up old shows. But we we did one in March uh, about Josh Wolf, and I think I said like he's got two years for sure, and three if it's looking like making progress in the second year, and that seems like fair and and respectful of being an expansion team in MLS, and I still believe that to my core that that's that that's what we need to do so i think it was this was probably like i don't remember when the first bad loss we had was but probably like in the first four or five weeks was the first moments we started seeing the most ridiculous of the austin fc twitter sphere saying that they think wolf should be fired and at that moment i started thinking about like what what is wolf's most likely exit from austin fc and I was thinking at that point that like, I, I still do like did and do have a lot of faith that Josh Wolf is, is going to become a very good head coach at some point. And I would have put a lot of money in up until a couple of weeks ago, and maybe still now that Josh Wolf's exit from Austin FC would be leaving to take another job, like a bigger job or a job overseas or like something with a national team, something with some other team do you what what do you think about that like what what do you think is the most like like what is the more more likely option of wolf's exits do you think he's more likely to be fired at some point in the next few years or do you think he's more likely to be like stolen away for by another team i think he's more likely to be fired than stolen away by another team and i guess my biggest fear 
is that because the familiarity that Precourt and Claudio and Josh have with the system that we just kind of muddle through for six or seven or eight years until like they just burn the whole thing down that, that there's like a level of comfort with what's going on with among all the people that that the top of the organization doesn't demand excellence yeah i like i said i i think a few weeks ago i would have put money on that he was going to leave on his own terms um i don't know that that's as likely now just seeing a bit more like i think i think wolf has shown his inexperience in moments uh that that still doesn't make me think that he should be fired i think it's still way too early for that and i think it's something that should be expected in a first-time coach um i think he is going to be a very good coach but i think he has because he has shown that inexperience i it does seem like a much more likely thing that it could happen but I still don't think it will, and I don't think it should. No, yeah, I agree. And there's still, I mean, it's we're not half a season in, and he's a first-year head coach. And you hope that these are things that, you know, he'll learn, you know, in his own way from what's going on. And I still, I still believe that. I mean, he's a student of the game, so you, you'd expect that he would be introspective, you know, about his own approach to the game and reaction in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I think we can call call it quits on that topic. Uh, are you ready to take a quick break, Jeremiah? Yep. Let's take a break. All right. We'll be right back with a preview of the Real Salt Lake game coming up next weekend. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Let's do it. Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, and I believe that you've had some experience with it yourself. Is that right, Landon? That's right. Yeah, they actually sent uh, sent a bottle of each of the flavors to try. Uh, uh, we'll get those to you at some point, Jeremiah, so that you can actually taste them as well. But I, yeah, I had them uh, on my my breakfast for about a week straight, alternating between each sauce. So, if you had your choice between the zesty kick of golden habanero or the garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano. Could you pick a winner at this point? Uh, I think I would choose the Serrano. I, I like Serrano peppers anyway, and I also like garlic, and there is like a lot of garlic flavor in the Serrano one, so I think that's that's my winner, but I do like habanero hot sauces as well. I think my favorite thing about these hot sauces is they're sometimes hot sauces are too hot to even have flavor. And these have a nice balance. Like there's there's enough kick there, like you feel it. There is heat to it, but it's not so hot that you can't taste anything else. And so there's like, yeah, the, the balance of flavor and heat is is something I really appreciate in these. Well, I look forward to, to doing that on my own at some point. So uh, they have the two flavors available. You can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com or from their social media pages. And you can use the offer code GOAL to save 10% off your next order. Feel free to put it on everything. They'll make more. All right. So, Jeremiah, I know we said before the break that we were going to go straight into the Real Salt Lake preview, but we realized we didn't talk about Sebastian Driussi at all in in all of that. I think it definitely warrants a few minutes of, of this show because he got his first appearance for the team. So, what did you see? What did you think of his his limited appearance? Well, I think, first of all, he's absolutely as handsome in person as he seems to be in photos. Well, I mean, I don't know in person, but I guess on video. I don't know if you had a better view in person or not. But uh, I was too far away to really see. You know, we mentioned, so he has one and a half practices with the club, so you can't expect a lot out of him. But he just, he looked like he was at a, the most dangerous player on the team. I guess there's no better way to put it. In the, yeah. in the time he was in there and just he was always active you know he was trying stuff he was near the ball like you could tell that he was he was aggressive and he was wanting to 
to make an impression, and he's clearly very talented. Um, and it will just get better with time and with practice with the system was, was sort of my 30-second review of how he played. How, how did you feel about it? Yeah, exactly the same. The, the way he moves is it's something that no other player on our team does. He makes runs in the box and moves in the box better than any striker that we have had or have on the team now. He does a really good job of making himself available in midfield and dropping in to combine with players. And then just a few little moments where like the ball fell to his feet in the box and he got pretty close to making something happen and getting like opening up a shot on goal for someone else a few times and did some pretty impressive little things. Just they didn't come off and they weren't in the best of circumstances, but you definitely saw little flashes of the fact that he is the most talented attacking player on this team now. And so once he gets bedded in, knows where he's actually supposed to be on the field, gets more than two practices in before he plays a game. I think he's going to be, uh, he's going to be very good. And I think he's going to fulfill expectations. Yeah. And one of the, you know, long-term criticisms that we've had of this, lots of people have had of our attack is they don't just don't try things, right? They're just not creative. You know, they're not, I believe, uh, to borrow from Josh Wolf's constant quotes of us about us needing to be more ruthless in the attack, you know, Phil West says we're very, very ruthful and yeah. we continue to be that way. But I mean, Dragusi seems to have that in a way that nobody else has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's the way, yeah. Again, the way he moves, it's just like with purpose, always with purpose and kind of directing traffic, always pointing, like make this pass, do this, do this. And then, yeah, I, it was very limited. He was not put in, in the best of situations, but I saw a few little things that were very encouraging and I can't wait to see what he looks like next week once he has a full week of practice under his belt. And and can't wait to see how he affects other players around him, which is what we've talked about a lot, right? You've got Diego on the right and Cecilio on the left and they're sort of playing off what he's able to do. You may see a very different Austin FC attack. Yeah, that's another question that we'll we'll have to see next week is he came when he came into this game, we switched to a 4-3-3 and he was playing as one of the two advanced midfielders, like those, what Wolf calls the tens, which was interesting to me. Cause I always thought maybe he'd be part of one of those front three or like the false nine. Uh, but he was playing as one of those tens there. And so I'm, I'm curious to see in like a, a first choice starting 11 where exactly he's going to play, but we'll probably find out next week against RSL. Right. So you want to talk about RSL a little bit? Let's now? do it. Uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but I think it's worth going over at least for a bit. So RSL started out the season pretty strong and I think nobody really expected them to do well. And they started off winning several games and were pretty high in the Western conference for the first little stretch of the season. But I think a lot of the people who are doubting them in the beginning of the season turned out to be right. Cause they seem to have regressed to the mean a little bit. I think they're the first spot outside the playoffs right now, five points ahead of Austin. Uh, but I think they've lost a few games in a row at this point or lost or lost or drawn a few games in a row at this point and aren't looking like uh, a world beater of a team. Yeah. They're, they're not in good form for sure. They have scored twice as many goals as we have so far this season, but I believe, believe a lot of that was early. But yeah, their last five are draw, win, draw, loss, loss. So they're not on top of the game. You know, they're they're kind of an interesting team because they have no owner, you know, because they had the yeah. whole Deloy Hansen controversy last year. And then they had sort of two signature players through the last 10 years, one being Nick Romando, who retired in 2019. The other one being Kyle Beckerman, who retired in 2020. So they've got no owner. I don't know. They Like, who would you say... Who, who, who do people look out for? Like, who's your star player from RSL right now? Because like, I mean, they don't seem to have a lot of an identity either. Yeah, Demir Krylock, Albert Rusnak, but and neither of those guys seem to be like the same kind of focal point or presence on the team that that what Romando and, and Beckerman were. Uh, they do have quite a few really good, talented players, Krylock is great. Rusnak is really, really talented. When he's on, he's I think he's among the top players in the league. 
Uh, Rubio Rubin has shown flashes and, and looked really good at moments this season. Uh, Aaron Herrera, their right back, has gotten some national team call-ups, uh, and he, he's really dangerous when he's on. So have some really good players, but they've, they've just struggled to, to be consistent with it and put together um, strings of good performances. So I'm thinking <laughs> because Wolf rested Don't. all of his starters yeah. – we should see a full strength Austin FC lineup against them uh, on it's a, is it a Saturday? Yeah. Saturday game. Yep. We should see a full strength Austin, Austin FC lineup against them on Saturday. Um, so regardless of what RSL does, if Austin plays that full lineup, if we see even anywhere close to the performance that we've saw that we've seen with that full strength lineup against Portland, against Houston, we should be RSL. And I think with the amount of pressure that's on the team and on Josh Wolf right now from the fan base, if they don't be a team like RSL this weekend, I think that that pressure is only going to multiply and probably fairly so. Right. Yeah. It's, it'll be a lot of pressure on a currently what's still, still tied for 12th or still, still in 12th. We haven't gone all the way back to the bottom of the table, but yeah, it's, it's got to be one. If Austin's going to have any kind of chance to make any sort of playoff run, this is the kind of match that you have to win against you know, another team that's hovering near the bottom of the table. Yeah, so to, to end the show on a more positive thought, and I've, I've said this a lot throughout the season, but I think it's even more true now. Uh, FC Cincinnati has now fired their general manager. This is a refrain that I say a lot is, at least we're not FC Cincinnati. And again... Yeah, it, I'll, I'll say it again. At least we're not FC Cincinnati. They are in terrible shape. Uh, even if Austin FC's season goes to crap, we don't win another game this year. Our roster is built in a way that we would be able to fix that roster or at least greatly improve that roster in an offseason. FC Cincinnati has spent three years trying to fix their original broken roster and have not been able to do so. And so... Austin FC fans take solace in that, that we're in much better shape than FC Cincinnati has ever been and will ever be in the next, in the near future, at least anyway. Yeah. They're still one of the highest paid teams in the league, right? Well, yeah. you can almost count, you can almost count Miami with in with them too. I mean, Miami Miami's will be like, that way soon. I think we'll, we'll consider them in that same bracket in the next couple of years. Cause they've done the same thing. Lots of like long-term high money contracts that have not panned out, have not gotten any production out of. And so at least the guys that we're not getting production out of are not on for the most cheap. part are not on enormous contracts and are not on long contracts. And so we'll be able to get rid of the, the non-performers in the near future and then still have some cap space probably to, to make some moves if we need to in the off season. Uh, so yeah, take heart in that Austin FC friends. <laughs> All right. I think we can call it a night after that point, before we finish, we'd like to remind you to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It uh, helps our audience grow, helps expose us to more listeners. We've been, our, our download numbers, numbers have been going up. We've been going out to games and just meeting lots and lots of people who have, who have, told us that they just started listening to the show, um, told us that they got their friends listening to the show. So we really appreciate it. If you can spread the word, you, if it's leaving a review, just telling your friend about it, anything helps. And we, yeah, we, we are very grateful for, for all of our listeners and for any of our listeners that help spread the word about the show. If you want to continue the, the conversation online, you can find me on Twitter at LVAHero87. You can find Jeremiah at jbentley underscore ATX on Twitter. And then you can find the Moon Tower accounts at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Instagram and Twitter. And I was posting some videos and some tweets from uh, the Frisco trip. And I thought, I was like, I took some videos of uh, the fans chanting at Bucky's and doing like funny stuff on the bus. But the one, the tweet that got the most engagement of the whole weekend was, uh, I, Listeners, I imagine you've seen the the video of the little kid taking his shirt off and celebrating the goal at Q2 against Houston. That kid was at the game and his dad held him up like like the Lion King 
at the top of the the Austin FC section and the whole supporter section went crazy for him. And I took a picture and that's the tweet that did the most, the most numbers on Twitter for us that day. And so I guess the social media and marketing adage is true that if you put puppies or babies into something, it's going to be very popular. It's, yeah. It's always, yeah. It will always be dynamite for sure. And that kid, so we'll put, we'll put, if you haven't seen it, like the Fox seven story in the show notes. For sure, because yeah. that's pretty incredible. The kid's a legend. And I think, um, what is her name? I think her name is Natalie. I think her name is Natalie in, in Los Verdes Slack. But she, now that we have, we've had, we have little Sebastian. And then with Juicy coming in, we have big Sebastian. And so this kid's name is Sebastian, the the kid who took his shirt off at the game. And so she suggested we call him Tiny Sebastian. So we have Big Sebastian, Little Sebastian, and Tiny Sebastian. And I'm 100% for this because that kid's a legend. He deserves to be part of Austin FC lore. He, he does. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, which I believe will be recorded 100% in Austin, Texas. Is that right, Jeremiah? Are you going to be back in town? Yeah, that's my plan. Unless things unless things go sideways here. <laughs> yeah, if I get stuck in Mexico, maybe or maybe I'll just decide to live here full time. Who knows? Uh, but we should be back in town. And yeah, we'll we'll be back with that episode where we will review that RSL game. Hopefully, a happy review of an RSL game, and then cover any other Austin FC uh, any other Austin FC news that happens in the meantime. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one-